change is possible, transformation is achievable. Uh, it's not only achievable, but if we are going to do the right thing by our students, it needs to be our priority and we need to start now. The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello and thank you for joining the Learning Future podcast. I'm your host, Luca Parry, and today I'm speaking with Professor Michael Anderson. Michael is an internationally recognized educational leader, having taught, researched, and published in education and transformation for over 20 years, including 13 plus books and many journal articles. Now a professor at the University of Sydney. His international research and practice focuses on how the four C's, they are collaboration, critical reflection, communication, and creativity, can be integrated using frameworks to make learning meet the needs of our learners today, here in the 21st century. He has a recently released book entitled Transforming Education, Reimagining Learning, Pedagogy and Curriculum, which takes a, fu- a future-oriented reimagining of schools with a focus on those four Cs, the four innate human cap- uh, capacities. Thank you, Michael, for joining us. Thank you, Luca. It's great to be here. So, podcast about learning, what is something that you learnt recently? What a great question. And I think sometimes uh, we just take learning for granted. But one of the things I absolutely love is kind of being immersed in other people's worlds. Um, And uh, we were talking about Bondi off air. And and one of the things that I've learnt about actually recently Mm. through a mate of mine is about the power of uh, composting nappies, (laughs) of all things. (laughs) So. This mate of mine, his name's Jason Graham Nye, and he is the czar of compostable nappies. So he has come up with, uh, he's marketing a technology all around the world to compost uh, nappies and actually uh, is working on a PhD in the circular circular economy on how to actually take us beyond this huge waste stream that we find is there's millions and millions of nappies going into our kind of waterways every year mm. and not not in australia necessarily but in places like vanuatu and these are huge problems yeah but his technology actually makes it completely compostable and um and means that this kind of waste stream can become something really useful mm. uh, and i suppose he's opened my eyes a bit to the the discussions around recycling and composting and circular economies and Mm. how we can be doing uh making a change to this area really simply actually so that's been a fascinating kind of introduction and the the thing that i've learned is yeah and this is kind of getting back on message for me that actually the the extent to which this is possible comes down to creativity and collaboration communication and critical reflection Mm. like it's it's so interesting how the four c's just tend to permeate kind of everything that we do and everything that we are um you know the creativity of his solution is going to be the make or break for whether this works so uh and he's his ability to collaborate internationally and his skills in that and in communication are going to be whether this works or not. So it's a it's kind of been a fascinating insight to a to a kind of a 
uh, not only a, an ecological way of thinking, but also a business way of thinking, which yeah. has been just such a great insight. It's, it's, it's really profound. I mean, thinking about kind of entrepreneurship generally as almost an expression of some of those innate human capacities. You know, the idea to be yeah. truly creative, to solve a problem that actually often we have created collectively in, in terms of the economy and moving towards, you know, circular and also regenerative economies. You know, how do we actually regenerate parts of our world that we've devastated? But the idea also is in, within our, our human systems, you know, how do we ensure that we are focusing on, on those capacities alongside the other kind of technical skills we might call them or, you know, the the kind of traditional academic or knowledge domains as well. Because these, these that seem to be, I mean, this is a great example. You know, we're talking about, you know, compostable nappies here. I mean, but these capacities are really seen across contexts and cultures uh, as something embedded in our, in what makes us truly human. So take us, take us into that world, Michael, because this has been your world for a no, number of decades now as an educationalist. Yeah, so... It's so interesting to hear you talk about entrepreneurship because I think entrepreneurship is one of those words which uh, has got this pejorative that sits around toxic capitalism a, yeah. a lot of the time. Mm. Um, but actually, what we're talking about in entrepreneurship is the kind, if when we boil it down, we're talking about agency, we're talking about initiative, we're talking about creativity, we're talking about all of those things that can really make a difference in kids' lives. So... I suppose what I'm interested in, and this comes back to the four C's again, is how we make the four C's an expectation of our schooling systems, how we make it an expectation of uh, our classrooms, how every kid gets the chance to be creative, collaborative, community, communicative and critically reflective on kind of a persistent basis, how every day in every way our schools can reflect that. And the reason we focus on the four C's isn't just because we decided that, you know, four C's is a kind of a, a nice, a man, nice yeah. construction. Nice alliteration. Yeah. <laughs> nice alliteration. <laughs> yeah. Um, which it almost is. But, yeah. but actually, it's because when you look at how we uh, do schools, we actually have these things all around the place. I mean, not, it's not like I came up with these yesterday or Miranda and I came up with these yesterday. Miranda's the co-author of the books and my co-founder in 4C uh, Transformative Learning. Mm. It's actually, they're actually being done by great teachers all the time. Yeah. But actually, how do we make this explicit? How do we make it teachable? How do we make it accessible? How do we ensure that every kid comes through their education with these experiences because what we know from the research from you know government agencies non-government agencies places like deloitte mm. uh, lots of places are telling us that the capabilities of the 21st century are going to be capabilities like these four C's. And not only the 21st century, let's face it, the mm. 15th century, the 16th century, you know, yeah. right through human history. <laughs> the 23rd. How we got out of caves. Yeah, exactly. How we yeah. got out of caves and started building houses is down to these four C's. So um, the reality is that if we don't provide these experiences and these explicit learnings for our, for our students, we're disinheriting them from the future that can be theirs. And I think that's, a, that's like a, that's why we're not calling slightly, making schools slightly better. 
we're mm. calling calling our books transforming schools and transforming education yeah. because it is about transformation uh, at a kind of in a way which is kind of evolutionary. So we call it kind of uh, revolution at an evolutionary pace. But, yeah, it's about making sure every kid has the opportunity to engage with these explicitly and understand them deeply. Do you know, Michael, it, um, it dawns on me the, the idea of, like, what's the major challenge now? Because I, I feel like there is something in the soup or in the status quo that, you know, the, the inertia of big systems today around improvement, for example, and this improvement paradigm. Or let's just make things a little bit better for everyone. I mean, and that comes from a good place, obviously, you know, a little bit better for everyone is great. Um, so, but why, what's the case for transformation? Because I feel like the current paradigm we get stuck in around academics, uh, you know, the bloodless paradigm as Fullen would call it, right? You know, it doesn't seem to be serving us into this rapidly shifting world. Like, what is the actual case here to really reimagine powerfully as opposed to just do some reform um, or tweaks? to the way that we, we educate across the world? Well, I suppose uh, the metaphor we like to use is the steam train metaphor. Um, and we, we see school improvement as tinkering with the steam train, right? right. You know, the, there's nothing wrong with steam trains. I quite like steam trains. Um, <laughs> but they're, they're, they're no one's idea of a modern, a modern transport system. So we need to build something that's kind of faster, more efficient, to get people around it's the same with schooling we can tinker around with old models of schooling some of which have you know there are principles in the steam train that have gone through to kind of modern travel Mm. you know we haven't got rid of rails for instance yeah but but it's just tinkering with old technology is not going to get us anywhere so we need to take the best of what we've been involved with and make it relevant for for the world that we see around us today in transforming education, we talk about uh, curriculum, for instance, being not kind of the equivalent of syllabus. I think so many of us think about syllabus and curriculum as equals, yeah. but they're not. And we talk about curriculum needing to be a really dynamic process that is all of what kids learn at school or in university or early childhood that actually kind of responds to the real world. Uh, maybe draws from syllabus, but actually enables enables schools to kind of uh, respond directly to what's happening happening authentically in the lives of kids, mm. and that's a huge jump. That's a transformation. Yeah, it means that uh, our welfare policies uh, actually wrap into our pedagogy, and our pedagogy wraps into our well being. It means that co curricular. Um, is no longer seen as something that is other, mm. but it's actually wrapped into the curriculum. Mm. Um, I mean, think about uh, what happens on the hockey field or what happens in the school drama or the school dance um, or club. Mm. As much great learning goes on there yeah. as happens in classrooms, and yet yeah. we don't even connect it often in many schools. So I suppose yeah. we're thinking about how can we how can we change those structures? How can we change those approaches so we can get make take best advantage of the learning that's going on throughout the school? Mm. I love I love your point here. You know, we used to call it extracurricular when I was at school. You know, it was like it was extra mm. you know, because it wasn't core. And so this this idea that 
that I'm, I'm kind of quite drawn to that everything is just a Venn diagram. And yet we've been trying to take the Venn diagram and stick it into a spreadsheet or into columns, you know, and segment as opposed to embed or integrate. Um, mm. So how, how then, if this is the, if this is the case um, for change, how does a school... And, and frankly, I mean, this, we could be having this conversation about the startup world or about big corporates as well, right? These four capabilities really are the future of work as well in terms of human capital mm. investing. Um, you know, how, how do you go down that journey? You, know, like you talked a little bit about the structures, for example, of a school or as a company. Um, you know, I'm sure culture is part of this as well. Like what's the organizational culture that we need to truly transform? You know, what, what's the journey? You know, we've got the steam train. How do we actually, how do we iterate that steam train or quite literally redesign it so that it's more fit for purpose for today? Well, I think when you're thinking about schools, I think, uh, and, and, and in education generally, I think there's some pieces of a puzzle that we need to, to put together. And the pieces of the puzzle are things like pedagogy, curriculum, learning, values, uh, teacher education. Mm. All of those are pieces of the transformation puzzle. And for us, the centre of that puzzle is the four Cs. So at the centre of all of that, the four Cs coheres those kinds of changes. And, of course, you don't do it all at once and mm. you don't uh, manage this transformation in two weeks. It's It takes years mostly to mm. do. And we're working at the moment with more than 50 schools across Australia on this transformation work. And what we find in that work is that schools go at different paces because schools are different. Yeah. But one of the most powerful things that we can do is to provide coherence for schools uh, at, during this process. And so we create what we call coherence makers uh, to do this. So, for instance, if we're thinking about creativity and you say to a teacher, okay, you've got to teach creativity with your year nine, and um, immediately that um, that kind of strikes fear into the heart of um of teachers because what that means is that um, that that teacher has to actually understand creativity not only as a concept but as a pedagogy. Yeah. So we've created a coherence and and for us the four C's are a bit like um, aerosol words. I don't know whether you've heard that term no, before, but no. people spray these words around oh, all the right, time. Sure. Yeah. They smell fantastic, <laughs> but when you have to grab them, they're gone. Yeah. So. This kind of aerosolness, and we've—it's all through education. Like innovation's another one. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch of them. So actually, what we want to do is make these things coherent. So with creativity, we've created a coherence maker called the Creativity Cascade. Nice. And what it does is it defines uh, it defines creativity pedagogically. So teachers can go, oh, okay, I, I can now see tangibly what that might look like. And there's four stages in the creativity cascade, noticing, asking why, really why, playing with possibility, and then selecting and evaluating. Now, of course, mm. it takes a lot more time than two seconds for mm. us to get into what that might look like in a classroom, but teachers are already doing a bunch of these things. They yeah. know what noticing looks like. They know how to assess noticing. And so... Um, so, so what we're finding with our partnership schools is when they have the opportunity, 
to work in a pedagogically coherent way, it starts to change the discussion. And it means in a school, if we're working with a school, that everyone can talk about creativity with a shared understanding. People who are working in design and technology, people who are working in, um, you know, uh, geography, across the spectrum, we can talk about creativity like that. And then you can start to make links between subjects and connect subjects, which which I think is a really exciting opportunity to think of schools as not a bunch of pipes that kids get subjects out of, but actually a system of plumbing where all of the pipes kind of link up in some way. Um, I often despair for year seven kids at the start of every year coming from often really integrated learning into a school where there's a bunch of pipes with no connections and they get their history pipe and their music pipe and their, Mm. you know, whatever pipe and they've got to make the connections. I mean, it's hard enough for us to make connections as adults for the land for kids. So how we bring all that together and make links between these disciplines is really critical. Yeah. So I think I think making things coherent, making things pedagogically accessible, yeah. and then providing kind of a what we really call this the policy pedagogy gap. And that's the gap between, you know, what what we've been asked to do in curriculum and syllabus for a hundred years probably, and what what's actually possible pedagogically through being resourced properly, having the right structures in place. So it's really about closing that gap for mm. us and, and putting in the middle of that coherent frameworks uh, and, and practices that make that possible in schools. That's brilliant, Michael. I mean, I think about some of the, some of the work, you know, from you know, kind of single discipline to multidisciplinary to interdisciplinary to transdisciplinary and the kind of move along that, spectrum so to speak and it seems to me as well with the creativity cascade the idea of a developmental progression that you can see progress against Mm. um, is a way to make this work more trusted and and more valid Uh, because I think you know we all everyone listening to this podcast you and I know the experience of powerful learning when we've had it ourselves you know the kind of fire that's lit in us our creativity the acknowledgement the kind of psychological safety that's existed to try something, to be vulnerable, to communicate, you know, to step forward. Uh, and, and yet we know that it's not, it's just not often, not just the case for learners, but also for the educators um, who often feel like mm. they don't have agency because of the demands of this policy practice gap. I'd love for you, if we're having this conversation in 15 years, Michael, which I hope we are, you know, on what, some lovely <laughs> beach in Sydney at some point, um, yeah. what is your, what's your hope? Can you paint us a picture of the, what a school of the future might look like? We know that context is queen. There's going to be a range of these projections, but, you know, the future is already here. It's just not evenly distributed, as William Gibson said. So where do you think we're going in terms of the future of, of schools? Um, what do you hope we can achieve in 15 years if we do this transformation work well and we do it collectively? Well, uh, I think actually we've known what's going to happen in 15 years for about 120 years. I mean, John Dewey's work really yeah, true. Um, w- w- was telling us where we should be so yeah. long ago. And uh, we've got a chapter in here that starts off with the story of John Dewey 
paddling through the Adroniacs, you know, um, and being immersed in nature and, and talking about what an edu- a, 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 an immersive education might look like, an experiential mm. education might look like. Um, and I suppose what I want for 15 years in the future is right. William Gibson's right. We are seeing it. We're seeing it in Willembar High School. We're seeing it at Hurstville Public School. We're seeing it at Ulladulla High School. And what we're seeing is the is is that coherence and those frameworks coming into place. So I think we we've got a kind of a fetish about technology and education. That education, you know, this this misnomer that um, technology is going to solve the climate crisis crisis mm. and we won't have to change behaviour. Uh, we've got this misnomer in education as well. If we just had more kind of computers, everything would be okay. That mythology has been debunked, but it's been around for 30 years. Now, there's nothing wrong with technology, but actually the hardest transformation is in human behaviour. Yeah. So how do, we, how do we think about that, I suppose? And what we're seeing in schools that are on that transformation journey is what you're describing. It, it's agency. So um, just to go back to a bit of kind of accessible theory, mm. Decky and Ryan talk about self-determination theory and they talk about three things that humans need for motivation. They need autonomy. They need to be able to feel that they are competent at something or competent, competence and they need relatedness. Now, to me, that doesn't seem like it should be that hard and yet we've created schools that are uh, uh not great at agency that mm. for teachers, for leaders, for kids. So what would happen if we actually put those three things back into the mix and made them our priorities and put deep learning at the centre of that? So that's all very well on a rhetorical level, but what's that actually look like? What's the, mm. what's the picture? I think what that looks like is kids actually having a say in what they're learning, but also enabling others to learn. I think we often talk about agency as a kind of a people get this view of agency that kids just kind of running around a classroom and swinging from trees and doing what they want. Um, but actually, agency, in our view, is um, I, your learning's as important as my learning. Mm. And so, how I can support your learning is as critical as as my learning. And we've got so it would be a school, I think that where we saw people supporting each other's learning all the time. It would be a school that uh, had, crea- had that creativity was a standard expectation as, as well as collaboration and communication. It would be a school where the assessment processes uh, and the matriculation and university entry or TAFE entry or whatever was based on those what some people call soft skills, what we call core skills mm. uh, that actually allow us to kind of survive and thrive as humans. There would be a place uh, in some ways that that looks similar to what we see today, just not with kids sitting in rows kind of um, having transmissive learning all the time, but actually different kinds of learning uh, with different kinds of spaces. So... Mm. I mean, we we could if we could kind of change human behaviour in ten minutes, we could get that tomorrow, because it's not actually a it's not the technology, it's not the spaces, although they help. Yeah. But it's actually providing the support to enable teachers to be able to do do that. Getting rid of teach to the test kind of pedagogies, getting rid of kind of uh, pointless accountability, 
not mm. meaningful accountability, and actually providing spaces for for kids and students to thrive in a collaborative environment. That's what what I, I see. And I suppose my example and my model for that goes back to the work that I first saw Miranda Jefferson, who is the co-author on all of the books we've done in this area, um, working in Delaney College in Western Sydney. And she said, said to me, oh, come and have a look at what we're doing. And I, I said, oh, yeah, you know, I'll see what you're doing. And what I saw was 90 year nine kids in a room. Now, that's most teachers' wow. idea of Yeah, care. that sounds really hectic. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly mine. Yeah. And actually, what I saw was five teachers working with these 90 kids. Some kids were being take, taken off to work kind of intensively on their English language stuff. Some kids were working on individual um, self-directed learning. Some kids were getting support around other things. Some kids were being extended. And then they'd, they'd, they'd kind of work flexibly. They'd bring them back together. They'd do some kind of uh, physicalization stuff where, where the learning demanded it. Mm. And so coming back to a situation where the learning sits at the centre, um, I think is, is, is really kind of the view of, of the future that we have. Uh, but it's actually, I don't think it's 15 years away. I, th- I think it's, it's completely achievable. Mm. And the schools that we partner with think it is as well because they, they've engaged with us to try and do this work. Um, and, you know, it's slow, but it's also joyful. Like yeah. there's a lot of joy in this work as we change and rethink and re-engage and deepen what's going on for pedagogy, for learning, for leadership, the whole lot. Well, that's a that's a really compelling picture, I think, Michael. And as I'm as I'm listening to you speak, it does dawn on me that really we're talking about the language of learning here and less of the grammar of schooling, right? And the the kind of hidden grammar sometimes, which is we're all kind of in silent agreement about things that we don't agree with sometimes, you know, like and this idea of agency, I just, I, I'm really curious about it because to me it seems to be a foundation or even like a meta concept. It's, it's a thread, which is the power to choose, you know, at any point, the power to respond if we want to go to Viktor Frankl and logo therapy, you know, purpose and self-determination theory or motivation design, organizational culture, all those different vantage points. But it seems to me if we can enable young people and by extension ourselves, you know, the joy of liberation to have more choice and more options. Although the paradox of choice for Barry Schwartz is, uh, is a challenge as well for us when we become paralyzed. I really feel that that, you know, we move from this idea of a school to the idea of a learning ecosystem or, a, you know, this idea where there's multiple mm-hmm. component parts and we powerfully choose our way forward and we make mistakes and when that's when, in fact, we're encouraged to make mistakes. Um, what do, what do you see at whatever level of the system as the greatest barrier? You've talked really compellingly about behaviour change as being a challenge. You know, being in a university as a professor, you know, is there what's the kind of IT, the initial teacher education response or opportunity here? And what other parts of, of the system do you think have not yet come on board to make that puzzle coherent? Well, I mean, huge question. I think human behaviour is critical, obviously, but I think there's a there's a there's a bunch of structural impediments around. Um, mm. Often systems can't get out of their own way. Often systems, um, you know, the rollout culture where we think yeah. that if 
you know, there's a problem, we roll out a package and, you know, we've seen that in the milkshake debacle in the oh last few weeks that we just we just roll out some sort of learning program and the problem's fixed. Now, the reality is no one changes from a rollout, really. You can roll out a cable and not mm. particularly well, but, but <laughs> in the case of the NBN. The NBN, yes. But... <laughs> But you can't actually roll out learning. It's not yeah. It's not a rollout. It's a relationship. So I think systems could get out of the way. I think systems um, are really creating this double bind for many educators where they're saying on one hand, we want, you know, UNESCO, they're, they're taking on UNESCO's research around how we should be having the four Cs and how these things are important, and yet they're doubling down on, kind of um, testing regimes which don't help. And mm. I might say as well that I, I, I am in no way suggesting that uh, the learning in subjects should be abolished and discipline learning should be abolished, quite the opposite. Mm. I think actually to have the agency that you're talking about, you need to be exposed to to new worlds. For kids to be able to choose classical music, for instance, they need to know it exists. Mm. They need to know, uh, you know, the wonders of uh, science to be able to choose that. So I'm not arguing that actually kids get to choose everything, but I am arguing within a framework we start to balance these things out. So uh, so certainly the, the way our system set up doesn't help uh, and certainly there are barriers around the way our kind of modern syllabus uh, is created as well. But there are con- when we're thinking about creativity, we- and this is, it, this is kind of what, what we're talking about here, it is a creative process. Transformation is a creative process. When we're thinking about that, what we're actually kind of looking at is constraints. Creativity always yes. happens in constraints. Yeah. And these are constraints that are not insurmountable, that we can get over these constraints. And the schools that we work with on a daily basis are getting over these constraints and are getting beyond them, are thinking around them. So there are are systemic kind of impediment, but I think uh, if there is is a real will in the school leadership or the early childhood leadership or the university leadership that can happen if you're thinking about initial teacher education there for mine it's the disconnection between what happens in schools and what happens in universities they're very different cultures Mm. um and i've been arguing for the last 25 years since i you know did phd way back when that actually we need to have a more joined up connection between schools and universities and to, to actually provide a, a really smooth transition for educators. And, and in Transforming Education, we've got a, a chapter on teacher education that talks about education as a continuum that mm. starts at initial teacher education and takes you right through your career. At the moment, it's, it sits in chunks and so you do your initial teacher education and then you get into a school and sometimes you don't see ongoing professional learning for another six, seven, eight years, and that can't be helpful. So how how we do that has to be completely rethought. And to a certain extent, that's what's happening in our partnership schools. We are rethinking the way that works beyond a rollout culture. So, mm. 
yeah, I, I think those are some of the systemic impediments um, that are getting in the way. But as I say, they they should not define us. We have to define our own kind of pathway and our own journey. And the only way to do that is to take back the agency and mm. take back the initiative because actually, as educators, that's what we owe our students. Mm. Oh, I love it, Michael. Um, it, it strikes me that we, we're in this period where there is this new capital N narrative required and potentially emerging. And I think you know where we started with the economy. I think it's interesting to look at what's happening in the world of business and the world of industry, where you know it's all about soft skills. I mean, McKinsey puts out a report every couple of weeks, basically saying these are the new skills that we need. World Economic Forum's on this. OECD is running a study into social emotional skills, as you would be aware, um, and that we you know we're collaborating with them at Karanga on that. So you know, there's definitely this moment. It feels like a watershed moment. Um, about that new narrative, to move finally from this idea of the schooling paradigm, I will school you, transaction, to the idea of learning, which is co-agency. It's the, it's the interaction between you know, adult and ch- you know, a child or student and learner, but also more broadly between the kind of local employment ecosystem and the learning ecosystem and how we try to connect those things intelligently. And I, I don't, I'm just not sure who could disagree with this as a narrative. And so for me, it's like, what's the big... Well, plenty like, of people disagree with it. <laughs> but why? How could they, Mike? Because I think we can make a fairly solid point, a, a solid case here for employability. You know, and post-COVID, you know, with all the job maker, job keeper, job seeker schemes, you know, it's clearly the theme is jobs. And yet if we talk about this, these are the jobs of the future. And so where's the resistance and how might we overcome that? Because as you say, like we need to take the agency as educators. So we can show the models already around Australia, around the world. And so how can we just use this moment and leverage it to tip us into a human paradigm where actually we, we all get the outcomes we want. We get more economic growth and development. We, we get more social prosperity. And we make sure that young people leave school equipped and maybe even, hell, inspired for the world that they're actually going to have to help us repair um, as as we move into you know 20, the 2020s and beyond. Yeah, I'm slightly more ambitious than that. Actually, I actually don't think school. I'd agree with Dewey on this. I don't think school is a preparation for the future. I think it's a preparation for now. And nice. like, I think a schooling system that is actually doing its job is is actually preparing their kids to face the challenges that are facing facing them right at this moment and mm. you know the complexity the chaos the contradiction that Ziad and Sadar calls post-normality like is upon us you know the pandemic is just one yeah. outgrowth of that but there are several so and you know we see kind of mental health problems kind of mm. skyrocketing in some of our schools partly because of this so I think the role of schools to not to put too fine a point on it is actually to develop those core skills in in our students now so that they might be you know prepared for their present and ready for their future nice. and look I, I i think the 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 argument against this um is that it's pretty hard and it's pretty difficult to change a system and we've got a whole lot of practices that seem to be working reasonably well and why would you change that? Uh, but I, I suppose in transforming education, we're making an argument for making a good schooling system great. 
I think there is there are there are good schools around with great teachers and great students. I mean, we've got the incredible potential in the Australian schooling system, yeah. but we we can't just scrape through with a good schooling system. We need a great schooling system. Mm. So how are we going to do that? And I and I think one of the ways we're going to do that is to to rethink kind of the taken for granted. So the taken for granted are oh well, you know, you can't assess creativity. It's nonsense. Creativity has been assessed for years and years and years in dance and drama and music and all mm. sorts of places. Um, you can assess it. If you agree to a, a way of describing it, uh, you can assess creativity quite in a quite straightforward manner. Mm. When you start thinking that assessment is not just ticking boxes and writing on bits of paper, but it's actually, uh, you know, it can be three-dimensional, can be embodied, that actually changes the game. So actually, I I think we are kind of progressing slowly towards the kind of schooling system we need, but we do need to be kind of brave to to get there because the inertia of the status quo is pretty pretty strong. Yeah, uh, and the fear I think there's a lot of fear in education about change, mm. um, and I understand that. I understand why that fear exists, but I think if we are going to really serve this generation of students and the, the situations that they face, we've got to overcome that fear and, and start to think about how we reshape our schools to make them kind of fit for purpose. Mm. Michael, I, I could have, keep this conversation going for a number of hours, I'm sure, um, but I'd love you to leave us with uh, a take-home message, uh, you know, the idea of, you know, reimagining learning and pedagogy and curriculum. I mean, change is happening. Um, but what do you want to, what do you want to leave us with as we, as we kind of, we look forward into where we're going and, and what we actually could co-create? I suppose I want to leave people with the thought that we know transformation is possible. We've seen transformation in the history of our schooling system. You only need to look at the civil rights movement in the US to, to know big things are possible. Big change is possible. Uh, you know, even with COVID, we we had a, a, a governments all over the world finally listening to science, uh, you know, when they hadn't been for decades. So we know change is possible. And but it's really critical to articulate the kind of change we need and to make it coherent. And I think when we do that, we have the most amazing power to make a difference um, in our schooling system. So I think the, what I'd love to leave people with is change is possible. Transformation is achievable. Uh, it's not only achievable, but if we are going to do the right thing by our students, it needs to be our priority and we need to start now. And certainly in our books, Transforming Schools, Transforming Education, we've, out, we've, we've set out a blueprint and if people want to start there, they can see how it's possible um, and we can make the change a reality. Professor Michael Anderson, a real pleasure to have you on the Learning Future podcast. Thanks, thanks so much. Thanks, Luca. Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.